Well, good morning. Uh, was it not just absolutely spectacular this weekend? The weather, the drive, uh, being out there, just phenomenal. Can, um, can we get an amen to the Creator this morning? Yeah, I'll tell you what, I was driving up this morning, I'm like, woo-wee, this is gorgeous, absolutely beautiful. Um, I have a feeling Pastor Trevor really enjoys doing that song. I think he really gets into that one. He really enjoys it. Uh, so great to be back with you. Um, some of you might remember me from Flat Squirrel Theology uh, back in the spring. And uh, as it would have it, I was uh, taking my son down to Mishawaka yesterday to run an errand. And guess what runs in front of us? <laughs> yeah, you got it. A squirrel. And guess who couldn't make up his mind and couldn't commit to what he's supposed to commit to? It did not end well. Uh, for this girl. So now that you know I'm an animal killer, um, it's good morning to you. Great to be back with you. Uh, so many near and dear people uh, in this church, uh, people we really love and enjoy, and you're such a warm, gracious uh, group of people. So so thankful for the opportunity to be back. I work with Pastor Dan and Pastor Dell at Life Action Ministries, and Grace Terrio is actually my assistant uh, as well. So uh, we have uh, a lot of ties into the church here. But uh, we're grateful to be back with you on the Word of God. Uh, Pastor Dan asked me if I would jump into the current series um, and uh, said I would be happy to oblige. So we are in the Colossians series this morning. Uh, our text this morning, though, is going to be Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. So if you want to get a copy of God's Word open in front of you in whatever format you're doing that these days, uh, open up to Colossians 2. Verses 6 and 7. Now, you've had a bit of a theme verse, I think, uh, rolling through your weeks. Uh, it's verse 6 from chapter 1. It says, This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And, and the theme of this book has been really the transforming power uh, that is there in the Christian life and in following Jesus Christ. This morning we come to verses 6 and 7, and here's the text. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow in Him. Or follow Him, excuse me. Let your roots grow down into Him, and let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. And uh, Pastor Dan and Pastor Dell have been laying out for you over these last three weeks uh, the absolute glory and majesty of Jesus. And in fact, last week, I didn't get a chance to listen to the message, but I saw some PowerPoint notes, and it looked like that was, um, Pastor Dan was talking about, you know, Jesus kind of being the secret sauce, if you will, right? Uh, the secret of the Christian life is Jesus himself. And that's because Christological error, okay, doctrines about Christ, all right, we're creeping into the church there. The idea that Jesus was just a, maybe a great man who did great things and was a source of knowledge about God, but not God himself. And this kind of false teaching and other worldly philosophies were infiltrating into the hearts and minds of the people there. Uh, but these worldly ideas would not have the ability to transform the human heart the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ could transform the human heart. And as you've begun to see, Paul wrote this letter to see these precious saints have their hearts transformed. So Paul counters this masterfully in the early moments of this letter. 
And we have this letter for us today for the very same purpose. You know, believe it or not, uh, people of God can grow lukewarm to Christ. I mean, can, can you believe that? Is that just it's a you know, mind-blowing thought? But the people of God can actually just kind of go into autopilot mode. They can get lukewarm to the things of Christ. They can get lukewarm to their salvation. And I want us to just take note of something interesting for a second. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, you have seven letters to the seven churches. The last letter, the seventh letter, is the longest letter and it is the harshest letter. And it's a letter written to the church at Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was right next to the church at Colossae. Uh, in fact, if you look down in, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul said this, After you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. They were sister churches just a couple miles down the road from each other. And yet the strongest condemnation from the Lord Jesus Christ came to that church at Laodicea. And that letter that Jesus wrote begins with, with rich Christology and ends with Jesus knocking, saying, let me in. Because apparently the church at Laodicea had kind of pushed Jesus out and pushed him off to the side. And so this letter at Colossae kind of makes some sense in light of Paul's pastoral heart and, and what he was writing to them. And listen, the danger is that we can just get so immersed in the world that we live in that we actually push the great truths of Christ off to the side. So this letter serves as a wake-up call to not do that and a powerful reminder to draw closer to Jesus. And in our text this morning, we see the classic Pauline kind of teaching methodology and uh, where he gives this great body of truth, and then he gives like a therefore in some translations or, or New Living Translations, and now. So in other words, you got a chapter and a handful of verses of great doctrine and truth about Christ, and then Paul says, so in light of that, this is now what you do. Now that I've taught you all this great truth, this is what you need to do. It's applicational, the verse and the text, the two verses that we have uh, this morning. So Paul says, in light of all that you just spent the last couple of weeks looking at and thinking about, and there's some rich, rich theology in there, he says, now, do this. What, is, what does he ask him to do? Okay. Um, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, he says, what should you do? Go back to your salvation. To guard against chasing after the other things of this world, go back to your salvation. You know, the 1960 football season uh, ended with an NFL championship game between the Green Bay Packers and the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Green Bay Packers uh, led throughout much of the game and had the lead late into the fourth quarter until the Eagles drove down the field, scored a touchdown, 
and snatched the NFL championship away from the Green Bay Packers. And so the following summer, when summer camp comes around, and summer camp is when the football team gets together, spends uh, several weeks training and practicing and preparing for the upcoming season. At the first day, the team is gathered, you know, maybe in a room like this, all the players sitting there, and Coach Vince Lombardi is going to address the team for the first time. The players are sitting there, and they're thinking, man, what great truth, what great nugget is Coach going to share with us that's going to push us over the top? We're so close to being champions. We just need that, that one extra something. And, and Coach Lombardi gets up in front of his team, and you know what he says? He says, gentlemen, this is a football. And can you imagine these grown professional football players going, what, Coach, what? Says, gentlemen, this is a football. And gentlemen, we're going to learn how to block. And we're going to learn how to tackle. And we're going to learn how to throw this football. You see, what Coach Lombardi was doing was the same thing the Apostle Paul did a couple thousand years ago. This is Jesus Christ, your Lord. He was bringing them back to the basics. Bringing them back to the fundamentals. And we can sometimes rush past that. We can sometimes think, what's the next thing I need to, to make my spiritual life better? What's the next new truth that I need to grasp or get my head wrapped around? Paul says, go back to your salvation, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord. How did you come to Jesus? He wanted them to think about that. He wanted them to dwell on that. Let me, let me share with you. We come, we come to Jesus. I mean, there's two contexts that we come to Christ in. I want to share those with you this morning. The first one is like the doctrinal way, okay, the truth way that we come to Christ. And we'll let the Scriptures spell this out for us, right? 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. There's the gospel in a nutshell. Romans 10 says, the message is very close at hand, that message that we just read. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So there's a gospel that we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth unto salvation. And then Ephesians 2 tells us this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. This week, my, my, my little boy was doing his devotions, and this was the passage. And the question was, you know, what does it mean to be dead in trespasses and sins? And Chad goes, it means you sin a lot. 
He's not wrong, okay? I mean, you know, for, for an elementary age kid, that's a pretty good, right? All right? Uh, but anyway, you were dead in your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Just think about that for a minute. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to all of us in future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Because God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What glorious, precious truth. And this is the truth that Paul is bringing to their minds. Those three passages, Paul is bringing them to their minds. You want to guard against being lukewarm? You want to guard against believing false philosophy of these worlds? Go back to those three passages of text. Go back to your salvation. So we come doctrinally, we also come contextually. Right? Doctrine never changes. Every believer comes to God through the same truth and confession that we just we just read about. But not every believer comes to God in the same starting point. These believers at Colossae were first generation believers. They didn't have Sunday school flannel graph stories. They didn't have you know, pop providential testimony time. They had nothing in terms of churchianity, but they were not blank slates. They came with lots of worldly baggage and beliefs, and hence worldly philosophies could be so tempting to them. You go back to your early years, maybe if you got saved, I got saved older in life, and, and you can remember the, the battle that's there in the mind, Right? and your mind being renewed in Christ because you're, on, you're deprogramming things you've learned and reprogramming things you are learning. But it can be real easy to have worldly philosophies still have significant impact on you. You know, this past week, God moved in a mighty way in one of the events that Life Action was doing. One of our teams was in the, a, a church in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee. They were going to go there for four days. They're still there. Like some level of revival has broke out in that church. It's an interesting church because it is a church full of, of people that other, other people wouldn't think much of. The pastor says, you know, we're the church that we take in what nobody else wants. They have a lot of interesting ministries, that's for sure. 
But there are people coming out of addiction, abuse, poor life choices, and on and on. But those are the people who are drawn to Jesus. Because it's in brokenness that Jesus becomes beautiful. The more broken you are, the more beautiful Jesus is. But man, we have it good in our Western culture. And that can dull us to the beautiful, glorious majesty of who Jesus is, the one that purchased your soul with his blood. The issue here is the folks at Colossae are maybe wandering away from their need of Jesus. And Paul says, come, come back to the basics. This is a football. He says, he'll come back to the one who is so precious to you that you said, my heart is yours. Come back to the one who is so gracious to you that you embraced his forgiveness. Come back to the one who is so merciful to you that you said, my life is for you now. Come back to the one who is so powerful to you that you bowed your knee to him. The one who is above all, over all, who is your everything. The one who died so you could live, who is risen, that you will rise with him. Come back to this as a football. And we're going to block and we're going to tackle and we're going to throw the ball well. Critical question for our generation. I think it's John Piper that wrote this. And for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, all the food you ever liked, Oof, that's a tough one. All right. And all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, whoop, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? If heaven offered you all those other things but offered you no Christ, could you be satisfied? turn that around and say, how about this world and this life? Could you truly be satisfied with all those things if Christ wasn't in you and in your life today? So let's work on through our text here. Paul draws them back to their salvation and says, you must continue to follow in him. In light of all the truth you've been learning, you come back to that salvation. So you think right now, think in your mind, you know, what was it, where was I? What was it like when I first came to Christ? And then he says, and you must continue to follow in that. Follow him literally means to walk with him, do life with him. The wording here is taken from the idea of a disciple attaching themselves to a rabbi. Okay, recall with me the beginning of the Gospels and what did Jesus continue to preach? Repent. Come to the kingdom of God and follow me. Repent, come to the kingdom of God and follow me. That's the football. God took on flesh in part to show us how to walk in this world. 
Christianity isn't just some academic exercise. It is a way of life. Jesus told his disciples, I do what I do as an example for you. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Timothy was to pass on more than knowledge to faithful men. Peter called the elders to be examples to the flock. As I, I grow older, or at some point as I was growing older, I began to realize I, I drive my car just like my dad. I mean, I sit exactly the way he sits when he drives his car. Got my, this hand sitting on my, you know, my thigh, the one, this hand on the wheel, and I just one day I looked over, and, and, or I, I looked at my dad, and I go, oh my, you sit just like your dad. It's kind of creepy. He's like, ah! It's like the progressive commercial, right? We can't, you know, keep you from becoming like your parents. It's happening to me, and it's happening to my kids now with me. I, I just, I, I drive, I just sit and drive just like him, which makes sense. My wife calls me Mario Andretti. Now, she does so in an affectionate way, I think, um, because I, I tend to, you know, drive quickly, and um, which makes sense, though, right? My dad was a race car driver. I grew up on racetracks, and that's how I spent my summers, camping at racetracks and watching my dad race and all this kind of stuff. And so we are supposed to live like our Father. We're supposed to live like our Lord. And we do that by watching, learning, and being around them so much that we don't even have to think about it. We don't have to think about it. We just are like them. 1 John 2 says this, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Right? So Paul says, come back to your salvation and continue in following him just as you did when you were first saved. Be like him. Christ is always the goal of life, and Christ-likeness is always the goal of our lives. This, brothers and sisters, is a football. But isn't there something fancier or some greater truth that you have for us? No, this is a football. Christ saved you. Follow him. And we move on in our text. It says, rooted and built up in him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. The moment of our salvation, we are placed into Christ. This is why our lives can look like his, because his life is in us. It's the living God living in you. Hear the word of God. Psalm 1-3, he is like a tree planted, rooted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's the godly life. 
Scripture also says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he had planned for us long ago. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. All the riches of eternal blessing are ours in Christ Jesus. We are planted in such rich soil. Do you know that? Do you know how rich the soil is where you are planted, if you are planted in Christ? We read Ephesians 2 earlier, right? We were dead in trespasses and sins, but God's mercy was so good. He loved us so much that he united us with Christ. And by his grace, he saved us that what? That we would be his workmanship and we would do the good things he had planned for us. That's being rooted in Jesus Christ. First Peter tells us, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Christ is building his church with those who are in Christ. And those who are in Christ build their lives upon him. Matthew 7 says, you, you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. The root determines the fruit. And Paul is encouraging them, listen, you don't want to fall for the, the, the crazy philosophies of the world. Be rooted in Christ and be built up in him. And you will be guarded against the very interesting things that are coming our way in the days that we live, right? So next in our pastor, see this. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you are taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. This is a football. Go back to recalling how Jesus Christ saved your soul and all the truth that you believed about Jesus and that he is resurrected and he's ascended and you believe that he died for your sins and you welcomed that and you wept probably in joy over the forgiveness of your souls that you are free in Christ. And then follow him. Walk as he walked. Learn from him being rooted in him and having your life being built up upon the truths of the football. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. I just want to share a little quick personal testimony along these lines. My, my wife and I, well, I was a pastor for almost 20 years. And for a number of years, I pastored in a church that was, uh, you would say, it was very healthy. A lot of people got saved. I mean, a lot of people got saved. And um, tripled in growth, um, lots of baptisms. I think we were, last I knew, we were in double digits as far as full-time vocational ministry people that we discipled and, and pushed out our doors. Between pastors and missionaries, it was in double digits. 
And um, it was a church a little bit bigger than this one when, when my time was done there, but it still wasn't a huge church. God moved us to a different church. And after arriving there, I kind of realized, wow, this church has flatlined for like 15, 20 years. There was almost no adult salvations in the church for years. The only baptisms were, were, were children. That's great. That's great. But there's something about adults being baptized that tells you something about a church. So I'm coming in to pastor and lead this church, and I'm thinking, you know, first of all, I made the mistake of mentioning it to the, some of the leaders, and they said, <laughs> what are you telling us we were doing it wrong? I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> they don't want to change anything. They didn't want to change anything. And um, it eventually became very, very hostile towards me. Because I was just who I was, and I was just going to pastor the way I felt God called me to pastor. And I'm pushing into, we need, we, we need to come back to some humble stuff. And, and they, they, were, they were not. They were too proud. And, um, you know, sometimes you hear about abuse in ministry from like a pastor being too heavy-handed you know, pastor who's like bah, bah, from the pulpit and boy nobody crosses the pastor you know there's the other thing too where congregations can treat their pastor very very poorly I know that's not the case here but it was a, it was the case where I was and um, so my wife and I we had to step away from that ministry it became very very unhealthy place for us to be in so we stepped away from that ministry and we had nothing. Literally had nothing. And um, people were like, so what job are you going to go get? I said, oh, God, God's called me to serve him. I want to serve him. And eventually, you know, well, pretty quickly, we were, you know, transitioning to Life Action Ministries. And, um, but that was about, 18-month journey of having to draw close to Jesus and be rooted in him. Because when, when everything gets taken away from you, what do you got? You got Christ. You always have Christ. Christ, and he was enough. Oh, we didn't have virtually anything else, but we had Christ, and he was enough. And we could trust him with our lives. And we, could, we came to know him as a, as, a, as a great shepherd way more than we ever did in 20 years of serving full-time ministry that way. Those 18 months, I think we grew more than all the years of serving as a pastor. Because you find out what you're rooted in. And you find out that Jesus is absolutely there for you. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught. I praise 
God that even though I, I said I, I didn't grow much in old pastures, but I was still anchored in Christ in all those years. So when the, when the winds blew and the storms came, our house didn't fall. But it doesn't fall because you're rooted in Christ. And you will overflow with thankfulness. I, I just wish I could adequately express to you the joy it is to know Jesus in this way. Because sometimes we just have it too easy. And we can grow dull to the powerful richness of who Christ is in our lives. Listen, after that speech that Vince Lombardi gave his team, he never lost another playoff game. Never. They went on to win several championships because Vince Lombardi looked at his team and said, gentlemen, this is a football. Let's block, tackle, and throw it the right way. And if we do that, gentlemen, we will be champions. Paul is doing the same thing here in these verses. He's saying, this is Jesus Christ who saved your soul. Follow him. Be rooted in him. And you will grow. So BCBC fam, this is a football, right? Always remember your salvation. Always walk and live in him. And always Stay close to Jesus. And then you will grow in your faith and you will overflow with thankfulness and enjoying the richness that is being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Crowd out the voices that are yelling at you on your phone, your tablets. And dive deep into Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the precious saints here. I thank you for your precious gospel. I thank you for the wonderful work that you've done in transforming lives and the lives that you are in the midst of transforming in this room. It is glorious. It is miraculous. It is the most beautiful thing on the face of the earth. A life that is being transformed. God, as we think of how beautiful it is outside today, the truth of transformation is far more glorious. Be with the people here. Might they be known for being close to you. We praise you and love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.